0: Toby football show with 2020 vision. Today we're asking, what's the difference between Martin Tyler and Prince Andrew? No difference, they both definitely enjoyed four seasons in Woking. And in a weekend rich in princely parallels, English men were barely breaking sweat as they scored abroad. Teams of professional women were in action and there were lots of happy finishes after they qualified for their first major finals. With three spots left to fill at next summer's Euros, we ran up all the international news and more in today's Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener, to you and to our panel today, which is Daniel Storey at the Football 365 in the Eye. Good morning. Good morning to you, top Welshman Tom Williams. Good morning, James. Author of Do You Speak Football and proud possessor of a ticket for Cardiff City Stadium on Tuesday night. Indeed. Wow, what a game. Yeah, well, let's hope so. Mm. And Michael Cox is here, captain of the triumphant team athletic at the Opta Quiz.
1: That is true. Thanks for reminding me.
0: Well, not at all, Michael. And, and since you're here... we. Had a, a couple of questions ask us for more info about the Opta Quiz because it's such an intriguing event the way it pits pundits together yeah
1: and ranks them I always assume no one else cares apart from people I care, care. but but you seem to genuinely care and, I genuinely
0: yeah. do Uh, As you know, totally only finished 11th. I mean, you say only, but we were level with the times.
1: Yeah. We were above
2: the Football Association, who, lest we forget, basically invented the game of football. So, you know, that's something. Awkwardly, Michael and the Athletic were on the next table to us, which made for some... Michael, is it true
0: that the Athletic had pre-qualifying for your team?
1: (laughs) No, it's not true. So uh, there was about eight people who wanted in, and there was only four in the team, so we had a lot of squabbling about how it was decided.
0: And it wasn't. there wasn't a time no, break? No, because we something.
1: couldn't decide on which Sporkle we should do as pre-qualifying. There was also a name out of a hat situation which no one came out of very well because there were six of us present for this ceremony. The first two names out of the hat were the two people who weren't there and we then agreed to uh, not honour the results.
3: <laughs> wow. Crikey.
0: <laughs> well, you know, the ends justifying the means. Daniel, you tried the quiz for yourself mm. off the OptoSports yeah, website. Yeah, on,
3: on the train home last night. Duncan can validate that I got 68 points.
0: You, on your own?
3: Mm, although that was with a few answers given out on the show, it should be said. Okay. All
0: right. Listener, you have a go yourself uh, and best of luck. Uh, we'll get on to the Euro 2020 qualifying news.
3: You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
0: 17 nations have now booked their automatic qualifying places at next year's European Championships, amongst them England, who put 11 unanswered goals past Montenegro and Kosovo. Also through Germany and Netherlands, the Dutch surviving their key clash at Windsor Park when Stephen Davis skied his penalty, but at least he didn't smash the light fittings. Northern Ireland head into the playoffs, underdog story of the weekend. You could take your pick between Scotland winning in Cyprus to move into third in their group, with John McGinn getting his fifth goal of qualifying, or Finland, who after 34 qualifying campaigns that ended in failure, finally made it through to a finals. Finns can only get better. Three places still to be sorted. Two in Group D, where Switzerland, Denmark and Ireland are all in the mix. And Ireland-Denmark is the key game Monday evening. And one from Group E, where after a 2-0 win over Azerbaijan, Wales can book their place at Euro 2020 if they beat Hungary in Cardiff on Tuesday. All right. Excitingly, both Wales and Ireland are guaranteed a playoff place if they don't make it. Feeling that jeopardy yet? Uh, yes. Um, I
2: mean, it's it's an intriguingly poised scenario in Cardiff on Tuesday night in that Wales have to win in order to qualify, and if they win, they will be through. Hungary also have to win, really, because if the match ends in a draw, they'll be guaranteed to finish above Wales, but Slovakia, who play their last game at home to Azerbaijan, Ah. can move level on points with Hungary with victory and would finish above them by virtue of head-to-head record. So basically Hungary, Wales and Slovakia all go into their last games having to win.
0: All right, well you're coming off a victory, you personally Tom, 2-0 away in Azerbaijan of which uh, your manager Ryan Giggs said some of the quality of play was outstanding, Uh, we've improved since the Azerbaijan game in September. Uh, we're getting better and better do you agree
2: yeah there's been there's been clear progress the last few games and even going back to the last international window um, there were two quite impressive draws against Croatia and Slovakia uh, in terms of the performances I mean no one's going to get carried away with a 2-0 win against Azerbaijan but as we know in international football these days those games can be quite fiddly and Wales were 2-0 up within 35 minutes, never looked in any danger of conceding, should have won it more comfortably. Um, and you have to say Ryan Giggs, who I think most people decided a long time ago was just going to be a useless manager, is getting a lot of big decisions right. I mean, he 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 picked uh, Chris Meppham, the Bournemouth centre-back who hasn't played at all really this season, over Ashley Williams, who's been in great form. That paid off. Um, he's brought Kiefer Moore, the Wigan centre-forward, into the team. Uh, he's done really well, scored the opening goal against Azerbaijan. Um, and, yeah, it feels like there's a bit of momentum there. And also, Aaron Ramsey makes his first appearance of the whole qualifying campaign, having been unavailable due to injury. Um, and Giggs was able to manage the amount of playing time he got and also the amount of playing time that Gareth Bale got. So they go into the game on Tuesday, basically with a fully fit squad, with a decent bit of momentum. And you sort of think, if you can't win at home to Hungary, with all due respect to Hungary, you probably don't deserve to automatically qualify anyway.
0: Fair. How excited are you to see Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale starting together. How rare is that? It's become increasingly rare. It'll be the first time that they've played together
2: uh, since November last year. So a year without having the two of them on the pitch at the same time. Obviously, they're is key men, but you look at all the other players in that area of the pitch. Um, Harry Wilson, um, who was really impressive against Azerbaijan. Daniel James, who's been Wales's standout player of the qualifying campaign. Um, you've got David Brooks, who, who's out currently, the, the Bournemouth midfielder. Um, Joe Allen's going to come back from suspension. It's actually quite difficult to fit all those players in, into the team. And I think that's one of the reasons why Kiefer Moore, who's a fairly one-dimensional player, has actually been quite a, a successful introduction to the team. Because when you've got that amount of ability in the attacking midfield roles the centre forward can just be a sort of facilitator, the way that Olivier Giroud is for France for example so yeah it's, it's pretty exciting it will be it will be pretty crushing uh, if Wales don't qualify because obviously they've got the the safety net of the playoffs mm. but having having gone through the playoffs and and failed in, in the not too distant past I think that's something that everyone will be quite keen to avoid.
0: Galloway in France saying is Wales Gulf Madrid the best fan chant ever in support of Bale and a freshness in this world of capitalist support and criticism. It's certainly my favourite chant of this
2: qualifying campaign. So for anyone unaware of the, the genesis of this chant, this refers to a comment that um, Pedro Miatovich, the former Real Madrid striker, made on Spanish radio recently when he was talking about Gareth Bale's apparent priorities. And he said that it felt to him like it was Wales first, then golf And then Real Madrid, which Mm. has been turned into a banner by multiple Wales fans in Azerbaijan um, over the weekend and also a chant. And Gareth
0: pretty much confirmed it himself in the press conference.
2: I mean, kind of, yeah. He had an opportunity to say, no, I love playing for Real Madrid. That's very important to me. And he didn't say that. And he spoke about how much he loves playing for Wales. It's like being down the park with his mates on a Sunday. And His presence in the game was pretty controversial as well from a Madrid point of view, given that he'd missed the last month for, for Real. Yeah, it's hard to avoid the feeling that he does prioritise Wales over Madrid. And ever since he went to Madrid and certainly the last few years where he's had such a difficult relationship with the supporters there, I think for him getting to go away on in international duty just feels like an absolute breath of fresh air. He's played with the lads in the Wales squads all the way through the youth age groups. They've had all these incredible experiences together. And he just seems a much happier, you know, more relaxed person. Um, and yeah I'm sure those sure those chants are uh, music to the ears mm. of, uh, of the Real Madrid faithful.
1: Hungry Wales sounds like a child's board game.
2: Oh right, that's nice. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Wales hungry though. Yeah, no, so but I don't care. I thought of the <actually> joke.
0: <laughs> could, have, could have
2: come up with that in June when they had that actual fixture. Right. Wasn't, wasn't when, the pod, and and Hungry one one nil. Is that right? Hungry one one nil. Yeah. I mean, Hungry aren't great shakes. It's quite a homogenous group. It was Croatia, Slovakia, Wales, Hungary, Azerbaijan. So mm. obviously Croatia group favourites, World Cup finalists, ended up winning the group. Um, but below that there's not all that much between the
0: teams what how would you run, what would your banner be tom would it go whales what uh, totally donuts um, whales we're, I'll, we're... I'll have to give this some thought i think pizza would be on there
2: right, <laughs> right. dinosaurs i'm quite a big dinosaurs fan Are you? Wow. can i can i think can i make can i maybe make the flag how and then bring your, it to the next podcast how
0: does your passion for Pay dinosaurs wages,
2: manifest itself it's just sort of reading about dinosaurs right when i've the opportunity What's the thing that annoys you most about the Jurassic Park stroke world series of films? I think it's the fact that it's not very good the more recent ones because basically Jurassic Park, everyone's familiar with the central premise. I'm sure I'm not ruining it for anyone. It's what happens if dinosaurs escape in the vicinity of humans. And every film that there's been since then has Mm. just redone that and and consequently it's getting quite stale. In terms Mm. of the sort of scientific accuracy of the films, the velociraptors... Actually bear no resemblance. Didn't they have feathers? They had feathers and they were the size of turkeys. Mm. Wow. There's a dinosaur that did look like a velociraptor called a Deinonychus which was my favourite dinosaur growing up, and that was the size of a velociraptor, similar sort of viciousness. <laughs> um, and I and I I feel it was it was unfairly overlooked when they went when they went all in on the raptors in Jurassic Park. So Fair. a dinosaur for you all to look up.
4: I'm José Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Football pundits who actually understand management, special. Winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power games, not special.
0: Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average forty thousand pound jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared
3: with other operators. Available on selected games. T and C's at paddypower.com. Eighteen plus. Gambleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: Elsewhere, the Republic of Ireland this evening in Dublin are facing a crunch game with Denmark. Ooh, Daniel, who they've never beaten. Mm. Who'd have beat them 5-1 in their last visit. We did a big preview of this last week because it's this evening. Of course, since then, Denmark have gone and uh, dismantled Gibraltar.
3: Mm, they will 6-0. do that. 6 yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, Mick McCarthy's come out and sort of accused the Danish team and management of, of giving Ireland too little respect, which mm. is a kind of typical McCarthy playbook of sort of this siege mentality, everyone's against this thing. But yeah, huge pressure obviously on him. They've been miserable, but if they get the job done, then you can just about justify it on the basis that he's leaving pretty soon anyway. They've no, no,
2: only scored six goals in their seven games today and that is in a group that contains Georgia and Gibraltar who've conceded
0: 36 goals between them wow. so scoring goals is very much not a strength not their thing OK there is the safety net of the playoffs which Northern Ireland will be going into after giving Netherlands a bit of a scare in their clash at Windsor Park they're playing Germany tonight there are four playoff spots available Michael in Euro 2020 16 teams go in four come out that's mm-hmm. how it works the draw for that will be on the 22nd which is middle of next week
1: Interesting. One-legged semi-finals. It's important to point out. Is it? Mm. So at the home of the higher rank. So you yep. go
0: straight into a semi-final. Yep. A one-legged affair. Yep. And then you go through to a final. Yes. Yep. Is that right? Mm-hmm. One final per. Likely Bosnia Nations for, League,
3: group. Yeah. Okay. Likely Bosnia for Northern Ireland, I think.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right then. Um, England. Well, after all that kerfuffle, uh, all that unfortunate business, the weekend went really smoothly. Gary Southgate side through as group winners with a goal difference of plus 31. 7-0 against Montenegro and then 4-0 Sunday away at Kosovo. Such an entertaining team. Who watched this? Let's see. Yeah, yeah. I did watch it. Koso-
1: and- Kosovo?
0: Well, no, I was going to say England. Is she entertaining up front and pretty entertaining at the back as well?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think you can say the same for the Kosovo side Mm -hmm. as well, who are kind of minnows who don't play like minnows because in a few years maybe they they won't be. But yeah, I thought there were loads of positives from England over the two games, actually. Obviously, so much potential going forward. I mean, Kane is now getting to the stage where we're looking at Wayne Rooney's goal-scoring record, which obviously was only broken a couple of years ago, and there's a good chance that he can surpass that. And it was just nice as well that, some midfield players got in the goals because we've really lacked that over the last few years. You know, after a period where we had Gerrard and Lampard and OK, they didn't play together, but they did score goals from midfield. And this time around, after a, a bit of a break of uh, players not contributing from that position, you had Oxlade-Chamberlain scored, Wink scored, Mason Mount scored. So there were so many positives. I know it was uh, against relatively uh, modest opposition, but I think there's a lot of players who will come out of that international break feeling kind of like they belong at uh, international level. Mm.
0: Tom, did you, you went to Wembley on Thursday, didn't you? Yes, yeah.
2: Um, I think one of the things that stood out for me was the role of the fullbacks. Um, ben Shilwell getting three assists in the first half, which is, which is a bit of a rarity, but also Trent Alexander Arnold, who's been used very sparingly by Gareth Southgate. I think that was only his fourth competitive start um, against Montenegro. One of those had been a dead rubber group match at the World Cup, one of those were in the third place playoff in the Nations League. And he's been the outstanding right back in English football for the past two seasons, arguably the outstanding right back in European football. For for the last two seasons and we've just not really seen him um, and obviously We know from watching him playing with Liverpool what he brings to the team and with the caveat that it was against quite feeble opposition. I mean, his range of passing is is extraordinary. The number of balls sort of down the flank, switching the play. He got one assist against Montenegro, but was quite heavily involved. And you you tend to think that that is now the 2 fullback roles nailed down. Chilwell doesn't have a huge amount of competition on on that side of the pitch and has done very well. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold is clearly England's best right-back. It feels like that team is, is taking shape, as we've said. The front three whether it's Kane, Sterling, Sancho or Kane, Sterling, Rashford is phenomenal and probably, I mean, actually not even probably, the most frightening attack in European football at the moment. The issues with the midfield as it has been for so long.
0: And and at the back,
3: Daniel? These last four or five days have probably nailed down a number of positions. I think it is now Rashford, Sterling, Kane. I think Rashford's done himself huge favours over the last few days. Sancho was slightly off it, as he has been for Dortmund recently. hudson Odoi was a little bit disappointing, so I think that's probably nailed down. Gareth Southgate's always said that Oxlade-Chamberlain would have started in the World Cup if he'd have been fit, so I think he probably will start next year as well. Winks has done himself no problems. Henderson seems the other automatic pick there. Against better teams, you do worry about the lack of proper holding midfielder. But Declan Rice has not hes not really justified the faith so far. I think he's probably been picked because he's changed nationality at the moment rather than because he's played well enough. To me, the only other position that's that's open is the other central defender. Southgate's given Mings a go. I'm not entirely convinced by Mings. He seems to make those John Stone style issues where he looks really good at times and then suddenly, out of nowhere, produces a mistake. But we're potentially going you know, seven months away from a tournament with just one position to fill, which is good, I think.
0: OK. So the uh, the, the concern from ITV's pundits post the Kosovo game was that the positions that have been filled at the back don't seem to know what they're doing on set pieces and are continually giving up Chances and that when England come up against this may sound familiar, a stronger team Mm -hmm. they'll all of a sudden come up very short indeed. Yeah, which is
3: the issue about the lack of holding midfielder because I think if if Southgate had one who was in better form than Declan Rice, he probably would start every game or every game against tough opposition. And the reality of a of a a scoring what what was it plus thirty one goal difference in is that you don't get tested that often, and when you do, it's in a friendly scenario. So. Mm. That is an issue, but it's very hard to look at negatives from such positive results and performances. Really.
0: All right, uh, how about the booze for Gomez, Tom? You were there
2: at Wembley. You, you... Yeah, it was it was a really curious thing to witness. In that at that stage of the game, England were six nil up. Um, you know they've secured qualification, they've secured top spot. Everything, everyone's having a great time, um, and then Gomez appears on the touchline, and as he comes on, there were quite a lot of quite a lot of booze. Mm. Um, even more than a smattering, I would say. Obviously, the word that you go to is smattering, but I think it was possibly even more than that.
0: And what would
2: you, what would you put that down to? Uh, I, I mean, it's hard to know with with England fans because you get a they're quite a different uh, or quite a difficult crowd to sort of. It's a broad church. It's a broad church. Um, I think part of it will have been, you know, you get sort of, and this is not to in any way, um, you know, sort of be disdainful towards them, but you get a lot of people who perhaps don't watch all that much football, you know, perhaps don't watch all that much top-level football. And so a trip to Wembley is a chance to see their, their heroes and obviously Raheem Sterling is you know the the England star of the moment so was it people who were annoyed that they couldn't get a chance to see sterling and also Wembley is Raheem Sterling's home patch lest we forget so right. was there a a local element in eastern massive I, I, were out i think it was either.
3: just a case of people uh see names in headlines and as soon as they see a name they think it's bad news i think if sterling had come on instead of gomez i think they'd have probably might have booed him as, I, I just think people are idiots at times. <laughs> but there's no other. i mean i mean that's not tarring them all with the same brush but there is no other explanation for someone booing Joe Gomez in that incident yeah. other than he's being, he or she is being idiotic yeah. but there's no other explanation for that, it is an idiotic thing to do
0: All right. Mm. well, Neesden locals will be seeing plenty of matches at Wembley next season uh, next summer rather uh, because uh, England's group games are all confirmed at being there at the, uh, the nation's football centrepiece Michael, this is exciting news, uh, where they'll be taking on a group that will be comprised, do you care about this?
1: Who's going to be in the group? I mean, only once has happened, really.
0: It's going to be one team from Scotland, Norway and Serbia. Yeah. One team from Bulgaria, Israel and Romania, although that could change apparently, but that's mm. as it stands. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the group's looking OK so far. The other two teams in the group will be decided in the draw coming up next Saturday in Bucharest. But it won't be Italy, the Netherlands, Spain or Germany or the other six hosts.
1: It's next Saturday. Yeah, it's yeah. a week. What time? Do you a week know? Saturday. I
0: don't know what I think it's mid to late afternoon. Oh wait, too big of a point. it's a week on Saturday, yeah, the thirtieth. Yeah. The thirtieth yeah, of November, okay. yeah.
1: I like I do like a draw. Do you? Yeah, do yeah. You I, I get really excited. Like you know everyone complains about all the cultural festivities they have before the draw and right. all the really awkward chats with ex players. I just really like all that ceremony. It reminds me of Eurovision, which is never a bad thing.
0: Good. Well this one's gonna be in Hungary, so I imagine they'll be laying it on thick there. Oh. I'm doing the ESPN live blog.
2: Of Are the tour, you? So if anyone's will at a loose end,
3: will I be there? <laughs> no.
2: No. In no. That's the beauty. You don't
3: need to be there. Yeah.
0: From a safe distance. Good. Uh, England have two friendlies before they kick off their Euro campaign, etc. And so on. But before the Euros, uh, two friendlies for Gareth to fine-tune his team. Gareth uh, has previously confided in me that he does love to listen to the show. So if he's, if he's across this one, Michael, who would you recommend that, uh, that Gareth you, you put in your team?
1: Well, I think maybe more interesting is who won't be in the team. All right, then. Who if would you I want can answer the question out? that way. Yep. Well, just I, I listed down the what I think will be the first team in the backups and not included in that is quite a few players who were fundamental parts of the World Cup side. Hmm. So I'm not sure about Kyle Walker, Jesse Lingard, Eric Dyer, Deli Ali, Ruben Loftus-Cheek played at the World Cup. Ashley Young's definitely gone. And Kieran Trippier is probably on the verge of lo- losing his place. And these are not... 30 something players they're players who probably expected that they'd be pretty regular for the next five years so he really has moved on a a generation that people weren't quite calling for them to be moved on so i think it's quite interesting but yeah i think there's the question mark is is in the midfield i think where there's just not quite the right balance of players who would you have michael well i don't really get declan rice i must say i think he's i think i'd get rid of him from the squad actually at the moment he might turn out to be a very good player Who, who would your midfield be uh, I would play Winx, Henderson, and I think Oxide Chamberlain will play. Right. And then I think the players who come in would be Mount Madison,
3: maybe Dyer,
1: just because he can play two positions. Right. As
3: I say, that, that's the one place in the squad that we don't have any effective backup is that holding, well, even a starter, that holding centre midfielder. Southgate wanted Dyer to be it. He isn't. He wanted Rice to be it. I agree with Michael. I don't think he is it. There's not really anyone else, unless. You know, unless he did play turn Alexander-Arnold in midfield for a while against uh, Montenegro. And he does have more backup at right back than any other position on the pitch. So he could play Trippier and Alexander-Arnold, but it would be a heck of a stretch in in a European championship game. Could
1: could play John Stones and central midfielders. Yeah. I don't think he will, but if Stones were to get a run there for City, which mm. isn't inconceivable, mm. that could be a solution. Yeah,
3: centre-back's the other position. It's pro- I, you'd imagine it's Stones, Mings or Tomori to start if they all continue to, in the form that they are. But um no I, one's shouting out for it, are they? I think right.
1: the, the problem is and it goes without saying that it'll be tougher once we get to the tournament rather than the qualification. But I think England are very well set up to batter minnows. I think the two problems are the holding midfield position and what we haven't mentioned is the goalkeeper because at the, at the moment we haven't really faced many shots but Pickford's formed since the World Cup. He had a very good World Cup but I think most people think that was... Uh, you know, it's like charitable reflection of his goalkeeping ability. I
0: see. Tom, did you want to throw something in here? Yeah, I mean, just to
2: say that historically England have struggled to produce genuine holding midfielders. It's mm. been a blind spot in the the history of the national team almost as far back as you can go. We're very good at producing box-to-box midfielders, the sort of archetypal English midfielder and, and lots of creative midfielders at the moment. But yeah, there's not a single world-class Holding midfielder in all of England, which is why I mean, yeah, as Michael mentions, John Stones, I wouldn't be surprised what, if Southgate tries why that. Why is out. that? Do you think? I think it's a cultural thing. I think I think lads who play in midfield. Um, in this country, generally want to be either box to box players or number tens. I don't think there's all that much respect for that position, and even guys who've played that position in tournaments, Owen Hargreaves, Gareth Barry, they've been much more kind of proactive midfielders. I mean, the job of a holding midfielder is quite a boring one. You just get the ball off the centre backs. You sort of maintain the team shape. You need an awful lot of tactical intelligence. It's not very dynamic, but I, I don't think that and maybe this goes. I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe this is something to do with the way that that kids are sort of brought through in academies or something. But I, I don't think there's the same respect for the importance of that position, as mm. there is in countries like France and Italy for, or wherever. France. Uh, Eduardo Camavinga, mm. for example.
3: The slightly ironic thing is that probably the last aggressive holding midfielder we produced in Paul Ince actually went out, was exported out to Italy, where we might expect that they would produce better players than us. But yeah, I think he was the last one that could be considered mm. European class or continental class in his position.
2: And even, even he was more of a box-to-box player yeah. than, than a pure holder.
0: Fascinating. All right, well, it's one or two concerns for gary southgate then ahead of next summer's european championships but by and large a pretty positive state of affairs we'll have a little bit more euro news coming up but next up time to talk about the finish That is Lordy. Uh, hard rock hallelujah, who well, you're a
1: big fan of, Michael, on account of their Eurovision roots. I wouldn't say big fan of, I remember they won Eurovision. Wow. As I've mentioned previously on this, very episode I like Eurovision. You certainly do.
0: Anyway, Lordy, still rocking, as you can hear for yourselves. Of course, top Finnish artists. Finland actually boasts more heavy metal bands per capita than any other nation in the world. They also have more saunas, including one in the Burger King in Helsinki. Uh, They're the ice hockey world champions, as you may know if you've listened to our excellent podcast series, uh, back in May. They're also, Tom, the happiest nation in the world, ranked thusly in March of this year for the second year in a row, beating off stiff competition from uh, Iceland, Denmark, the Netherlands and Norway, other global centres of contentedness. And of course adding to their current state of uh, felicitation is a 3-0 win over Liechtenstein on Friday which means that they are going to Euro 2020, their first ever major championship. (laughs) Well, the scenes there at the full-time whistle on Friday as, after 34 failed campaigns, Finland finally made it through to a major championships On the line now uh, from Finland is our friend Tommy Vilberg of uh, Hrupslitzbladet, or HBL, as he prefers that I say. Hi, Tommy. <laughs> Hello. Uh, pain on menti. Definitely, yeah.
3: <laughs> right. What have I just said? <laughs> Roughly translated to uh, we have made some steps forward.
0: Well, I'll, I'll say. What were, what were the scenes like on, uh, on Friday and indeed this weekend after this famous qualification?
3: Well, in one word, chaos. I mean, people were just flooding the streets of, of Helsinki, celebrating till the early morning hours or maybe the whole weekend. It was, it was big for, for Finnish football.
0: Uh, we saw with, uh, with the Finnish team at the World Cup of uh, ice hockey this summer that even without established names, though, they can spring a, a huge surprise. Is there a similar kind of spirit to the football team?
3: Uh, definitely, yeah. Our biggest star is Teemu Pukki, who has had a, an amazing season, or, or, well, amazing couple of the last seasons. But he's, like, the only big star. Then there are just, well, again, it's it's a good team. There are guys who are ready to work their butts off for each other. And uh, that, that's the, the beauty of the team, I think. Uh,
0: how was my Finnish there, Tom? I was trying to bust out. That's a famous Finnish expression I was using. Yes,
2: um, I have written about the language of uh, Finnish football of in my have. book, but I, I don't know how to pronounce a lot of the words in that book because I've never had to pronounce them. I okay. only had to write them. Is so that, I'm is... not an expert on Finnish pronunciation.
1: Is there not an audio book? There's not an
2: audiobook. Someone was asking me about this on Twitter the other day. It would be a great audio book, mm, but you'd yeah. need to pronounce things in about sort of 50 different languages. No, so no it would, just, it just would say be, it really you know, loudly. Or just say it really <laughs>
0: loudly, <laughs> yeah,
2: with associated hand gestures.
0: But uh, no, et tempe non menti, that was a catchphrase of the Finnish national coach. Is that right? Yes,
3: onwards and
2: onwards. okay, name, I got
0: this from your book, yeah, His name was something like anti Murinen, yes, and it was Ant-
2: it was during a time when Finland would was struggling right. as they often have as a nation of their size, and mm. he clung to this phrase, "We have gone forward. we have made a step forwards, even in the face of um very strong evidence to the contrary and he sort of repeated it so often that it, it became this kind of cult phrase and it gave its name to a Finnish football magazine. Mm, probably the fact. Finnish football magazine. I mean quite, quite probably. Okay what other Finnish footballing idioms did you have in your book? There's one of my favourite terms in the whole book actually um, is the Finnish name for a holding midfielder which is pika and um, mm-hmm. means fecal plug um, fecal and, plug. Uh, fecal plug. And it specifically refers to the matter that forms in the colon of a bear okay. while the bear, bear is hibernating. A bear's fecal. plug And then when it emerges after hibernation in the spring, right. it gives its bum a shake, and this little lump of hardened oh, really? crud falls out um, onto the ground. And apparently, if you are strolling through the forests yep. of, of Finland, which is teeming with bears, these, these little lumps of poo are quite a common sight. And, right. and the, the, the thinking in the a football plugs. context is that it's like the central midfielder who plugs the hole in front of his Exactly the
0: position that we don't have. And well, yeah, exactly. Right, Michael.
1: Do you know which uh, host country have a language that's very similar to Finnish? Hungary, weirdly. All right, OK. Oh. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's there just a weird little fact because you wouldn't expect it, would you? No. But apparently they're very similar languages. OK, then. That's the end of my facts.
0: Thanks, Michael. Meantime, uh, speaking of plugs, in a week's time, we're going to be in Liverpool for the final date of our 2019 Totally Football Live series. Uh, You're not going to be with us this time, Michael, sadly. Sorry. In your stead, we'll have Duncan Alexander, Julian La Raphael Honigstein, who apparently is going to be signing his Jurgen Klopp book. Uh, There'll also be some other prizes and uh, things for Everton supporters as well. Uh, And it's all going to be very exciting. That's going to be at the Epstein Theatre from 7pm, Monday the 25th of November. Uh, Tickets are available probably still at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Any other international news we should be covering before we uh, move on from the qualifiers? France are through, top of the group, Belgium. France may not be... They're not going to be playing at home though, that's bizarre. They're not going to be playing at
2: home and it doesn't look like they're going to be one of the top six seeds either. So they could be a,
0: a dangerous floater. They might yeah, they might be an England's group, actually. Uh, Belgium mm. had a terrific result. Did you see they went to uh, Russia and smashed them 4-1 with both hazards on the score sheet?
3: Romelu Lukaku up to yeah. uh, one fewer international goal than Wayne Rooney managed in his entire career, which seems remarkable for a 26-year-old. That's true. And and it, the, the weekend, is it feels more than ever like there's no standout candidate because really? France have kind of just gritting and stumbling their way along. Germany have apparently in this sort of redux. uh, Spain flunked at the last one. We don't really know what to expect. It does feel very, very open. What
0: about Belgium?
3: Yeah, very much like Liverpool leading the Premier League, the reason to not think they'll do it is because they've never done it before and therefore you have these sort of inherent doubts in the back of your mind. But they've got a heck of a team, so why not? It's just whether the manager is good enough, I think. And just
2: to pick up on Daniel's point, not only is there not really one outstanding team, it kind of feels like a bit of a year zero for an awful lot of the the major nations, but also all the big countries have qualified and we've got used to in, in recent years seeing... Holland or Italy or whoever missing out on the big tournament, you think, oh, great lineup. It's a pity so and so aren't here. Obviously, qualifiers haven't yet finished, but generally, all the teams that you'd want to be there are there. Right, and and yeah, although there were some really impressive, there've been some really impressive performances in the qualifiers. As and, and I suppose France are favourites by dint of being the defending world champions. It, it kind of feels like you know there's a lot of team who are roughly on the same sort of level and are still finding out about themselves.
0: All right, that redhead dude actually. Right, who do you think's the favourite for Euro twenty twenty? I'm not sure what your, your take is.
1: I think France are the best team by a long way, and yeah. I wouldn't read too much into the qualification results, just as I wouldn't read too much into England, you know, putting seven past. Uh Montenegro it doesn't really matter I think France have got a very disciplined side right. very solid defence and they've got individuals in attack who can make the difference Okay, they they tried tried
2: a, out, sorry yeah. James they tried out a new system last night oh, yeah? they played with the back three for the first time since 2004 or something and okay they were only playing away to Albania but they looked pretty good and it put Antoine Griezmann in the sort of number 10 role it was right. like a 3-4-1-2 Giroud and Wissan Benyeda ahead of him and he absolutely bossed it and you, you can forget what a talented footballer he is sometimes when you watch him at Barcelona playing second fiddle to to Messi and, and Suarez um, I think the issue with France is that they don't feel like they've evolved since the World Cup um, in the same way that the team that followed up victory at the 98 World Cup Went on to win Euro 2000. They were a much more flamboyant team. So Dan was at his absolute peak. They mm. brought Henri into the team and he was Just the main man. I think that's the only issue for France is, I mean, they've got that foundation, the goalkeeper at the back four, the central midfield. Who it's, is the
0: goalkeeper at the moment?
2: Well, currently it's Steph Mondonda because Hugo Lloris right. is out injured, but Lloris was interviewed over the weekend and he'll be back in, in January. Um, and the, the team from the World Cup hasn't really evolved. The only player who's managed to muscle his way into the team is Clement Longley, who's taken Samuel Umtiti's place as he has with Barcelona. Kingsley Coman has had a very impressive qualifying campaign and looks like the most likely to come into that attack. But there are issues with Giroud not playing very much at Chelsea, with where you put Mbappe. So that's, I think, the only issue that France have is how they configure that attack and whether they can find a way of playing that makes them a slightly more proactive team but yeah
0: in terms of the fundamentals they're, they're pretty solid Didier Deschamps reaching his 100th game in charge with uh, that win yesterday over Albania Ricardo Mantio says uh, what's the vibe in Italy at the fledgling Mancini project can they compete after years of disappointing well, they haven't done that I mean the new last time didn't work out but um yeah, no, everyone's wildly enthusiastic. and Even Arrigo Sacchi saying that they are a, a model to follow, that where the clubs are not playing progressive football, Mancini's Italy is, uh, is, is, is absolutely showing the way in terms of progressive, a progressive approach to the game, which is interesting because they didn't really see eye to eye when Mancini was uh, busy being excluded from Sacchi's Azuri project. I mean, the question's there. I think we had a, somebody mentioning the other day about the lack of a bona fide goal scorer up front.
3: It's mobile or nothing, isn't it? Really?
0: Well, no, because, I mean, Bellotti, I think, can do it and look really good... Uh when was it Saturday they played when they went to Bosnia-Herzegovina and won 3-0, which is an impressive result. The real strength of the team is is the midfield, where after the kind of post-Pierlo Blues, they finally got some creativity there with... Uh, well, it was Jorginho Tonali of Brescia, who everyone's very excited about, and Barella this time. But they've also got Sensi and, of course, Verratti ready to come in. Michael?
1: One thing you don't need to win a major tournament is a bona fide goal scorer. Do you not? 2018 Giroud didn't score. 2016, Portugal didn't play anyone up front. 2014, Germany didn't know who to play up front. 2012, Spain played without a striker. There
0: you man's, go. Man's got a point. Yeah. And one or two question marks at, at the back with Collini still being out and, and Bonucci not, not looking quite the same thing. But by and large, I mean, they've won 10 games in a row now, which is a record for, for Italy. And uh, they're playing Armenia Monday night and can finish the group with a 100% record. Right. Great. Well, very shortly, we'll be turning our attention to the women's football weekend, which took place this weekend, and, well, naturally, and saw all sorts of records shattered, some pretty top clashes as well. And we'll also be uh, turning our thoughts to Mark Simmons' question which football data topic should he choose for his uh, master's dissertation? Some shock answers coming up on that one. First of all, though, let's get some odds on the international football that we've just been talking about, courtesy of Paddy Power in conversation with producer Ben.
3: You still there, listeners? Of
1: course you are. Lee Price is on the line from Paddy Power to wrap up this international week. Lee, let's start with the
4: big game that Tom's been talking about, Wales versus
1: Hungary. Can the Welsh do it?
4: Yeah, we're quite confident. Um, Simple equation for Wales, winning their through, fail to win and they're in the craziness of the playoffs. We think they will. It's 8-13, odds on they get the victory they so need. Hungary, a pretty chunky 4-1, bear in mind they're second in the group at the minute. The draw is 5-2 but the Hungarians haven't drawn yet. And Wales we be hoping they don't start here.
1: All right, and let's gaze ahead to the tournament itself. Who are the favourites to be the overall winners of Euro
4: 2020? This is kind of surreal to say, and people think I'm joking, actually, when I say that recently. But England are amongst the favourites of Euro 2020 and have been since the last World Cup. Fair enough. They're now joint favourites alongside France at 4-1 after the weekend's Games. Belgium are third favourites at 13 to two, and then you have a triumvirate of real heavyweights: Germany, Spain, and Holland, all at eight to one. Portugal at 12 to one. Croatia, World Cup finalists no less, are 25 to one. And while we're at it, give us the top scorer
1: markets too, please.
4: Early days here. Obviously, there could be a few goal scorers that arrive via the playoffs and other such methods. But for now, Harry Kane and Cristiano Ronaldo are joint favourites around seven to two. That won't surprise you. Romelu Lukaku, 7-1. Interesting shout, maybe. Antoine Griezmann's at 15-2, ahead of teammate Kylian Mbappe at 8-1. The same price as Eden Hazard. And what about Robert Lewandowski? A great goal-scoring start to the season. He's 12-1 to win the Golden Boot Euro 2020. Probably depends on Poland getting out of their group.
0: You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or via the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, records broken again in WSL in the Women's Football Weekend, which saw four of the six fixtures played at Men's Premier League or Championship grounds and some big clashes as well. North London derby, big uh, fixture between the two front runners in in the WSL Chelsea and Man United to tell us what went down let's speak to our friend from the offside rule lindsay hooper
5: hello james
0: uh, how was your north london derby experience
5: it was incredible um i have to say that i got a little bit emotional walking towards the new Spurs stadium not just for that though james it was um it was everybody that had turned out the families my journey there packed trains you just knew that there was going to be an incredible atmosphere there and it was it was going to be a signifying moment for the for the game because i think this is what everybody's been working towards we've seen big crowds at fa cup finals that's been happening over the last few years everybody who's been following women's football will remember the huge crowd that was at wembley for the 2012 olympics when team gb competed but this is the first time we've seen crowds like this attending wsl matches which is the equivalent of going to a premier league match in the in the men but is something that's been long long overdue for the women.
0: Well put it in perspective so uh, 38,262 fans at Tottenham Hotspur stadium which is more than 7 times higher the previous record for a, a WSL game, uh, I say previous, that had stood coming into this this season, it's a it's a quantum leap. But it's because of this decision to move into the the uh, the men's Premier League and Championship grounds. No, the interesting thing though was that Chelsea, for example, who were playing at their grounds, still got a, a, I think a record crowd for them, didn't they, for the game for, with Man United?
5: They had a sellout at Kings Meadow, and I actually think that that is the most impressive attendance of the weekend, which sounds ludicrous when you think over 38,000 were at the Spurs Stadium. But when you look at the week-in, week-out fixtures that happen at these smaller stadiums, Kings Meadow, that's the capacity. I think it was 4,790. Well, to actually sell it out is something that we've not been anywhere near doing in, in seasons gone by. So to move in that momentum and to hope that, you know, when there isn't just a football women's weekend that's been highly promoted that fans are still going to turn out. To try and get round about 5,000 to each of these WSL matches would be a significant lead.
0: Absolutely. Uh, a nice result for Chelsea as well. A 1-0 win over Man United. Slightly underwhelming game, would that be fair, at Kings Meadow? <laughs>
5: Yeah, I think so. I, but I think everyone's now waiting, aren't they, for Sam Kerr to be revealed and uh, unveiled and unleashed in the first match. She's not quite with the the squad yet, but I think that will have a huge Im- impact. Um, there might be a little bit of uncertainty there as well with a few players because there's a lot of rotation. I think Emma Hayes has got a really difficult job keeping everyone happy. Um, but Chelsea have been flying, so you know the home crowd will have been completely satisfied to see a 1-0 win. It's not always going to be 4 or 5-0, is it?
0: Daniel, you watched Man City this weekend.
3: Yeah, they kind of declared on five pretty much against, well, they were 5-0 at half time and then uh, had a player sent off and, yeah, stuck with 5-0. But I, I was just wondering with for Lindsay, obviously she talks about the retention. Like, How hard is that going to be realistically without hyping it up? Because one women's football weekend is, I guess, is is nice, but that's not the point, is it?
5: No, I think it is going to be difficult. I still think that records will continue to be broken this season. I think we'll see more of these matches being held at, at the men's stadiums, I think it's a lot to do with this one club effect. I, I think everyone showed, you know, Manchester United fans, uh, Chelsea fans have done in the past. Certainly, Spurs fans did this weekend at the North London derby that they will go and support. And I think that there's always been this taboo that maybe you know men's football fans won't transition over to women's. But I think it's really shown that there's this other different atmosphere, maybe a family atmosphere, maybe that's the thing that you like to go and do more as an adult in terms of going and watching the men's. But in terms of a family affair um, and a younger crowd, that is something that still really has got a huge appetite for people to go to. So um, I think that the, the season is promising. I think it's going to be difficult to continue the sorts of figures we've been seeing. But if we can't do it now when we've got an Olympics and a Euros coming, then I don't think it, it will ever really have the opportunity that it's getting right now.
0: Well, there's a full roundup at your uh, offside rule WSL edition, which you recorded straight after the North London Derby at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, is that right?
5: We did. Um, Producer Abbey pulled a late one, managed to get it out last night. So it's out now. Um, Everyone should go and listen to that. A little bit of a different feel. We actually decamped into one of the flash interview zones at Spurs. Um, And just as people were walking down the tunnel, managed to grab managers, players. They just came in. We had a thoroughfare of people coming through. It was a really different podcast. So hopefully everyone enjoys the show.
0: Lindsay Hooper of the Offside Rule. Michael, you watched Spurs Arsenal. What did you think?
1: I thought it was quite a poor quality game, actually. I don't think either side played to their potential. And I think it's interesting because obviously it's a good thing in the long term that, you know, playing at these big stadiums, getting bums on seats. But I think for Spurs, probably just sacrificed home advantage. You know, it was the first time that they'd played there. So it was almost like playing on a neutral ground. Um, And I think the game was really characterised by being quite scrappy until the final half hour when I think Arsenal's quality and probably superior fitness levels uh, came into play. Kim Little scored a really, really good goal from the end of the box. And uh, and Medema well got a bit of a gift from one of the uh, defenders and rounded the goalkeeper. But she's a really good player. I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of chat about Kirk coming, I mean, but Medema just such a good all-round forward. Good with the back to goal, good in the air, can shoot with either foot, skillful. You know, just to kind of the, the kind of player you think, how do I stop her? You know, mm. just so good in every area. But it was uh, yeah, it wasn't a, a great game, but great to see the attendance, obviously.
0: Right. Tell you what, Michael, let's finish off then with a quick question from Mark Simons, a.k.a. Squirrel Climb, who asks, which football data topic should I choose for my master's dissertation? It's interesting. I wonder what, what would that be a master's in, do you think? Statistics or...?
3: I did I did my dissertation on football and I did an accounting degree, so oh, you can you very can... much broad out, yes.
0: Wow, that's great. That's great. Uh, well, so which football data topic? Now, you, you uh, Michael, and you, Daniel, have both replied... To uh, Mr. Squirrel, climb, uh, Daniel. You suggested the decline of heading in modern football. Mm. Why is that something that fascinates you, or you think is ripe for? Because me? it
3: is going down, and I think it's also quite interesting with um, the stuff about, uh, you know, in the US they're, the they're banning, injuries. yeah, they're banning yeah. children from heading and stuff. So yeah,
0: I, I can't bear watching
2: kids head head footballs. Mm. I think that heading will disappear from football within our lifetimes. It's already on the way down. Right. With all the research we know about the links between heading footballs and various brain Conditions. Mm. Um, I I think we'll reach a point where I mean, if it's already if it's already being you know taken out of the game at youth level in different countries, I think how, do you, how are they taking it out? They're they're banning. Well, the like in the states, mm, um, heading it. is banned for anyone playing football below the age of thirteen. I think there are other European countries who've started to follow suit as well. I think this is just the just the Head beginning.
3: Height rule, maybe. Oh, no, I wouldn't go that far. I, I, I look forward to the interminable analysis about what constitutes a header and what constitutes the neck right. <laughs> to replace the Humboldt debate for the next yeah. 20 years.
0: <laughs> right. OK, so that's, uh, that's a pretty um, fruitful topic for discussion in a dissertation. Michael, you, on the other hand, have gone for the impact of three points for a win on the percentages of draws, although, as you say, this is possibly a bit 80s. It is, yeah. What would your contention be? Were you arguing this in a dissertation?
1: Well, I don't know. That's why I'm interested. Oh, but I mean, like right. obviously, you know, the the three points for women's mm. brought in to Logic. encourage teams to attack. But. I gather that it didn't have much impact. Is that right? Whereas I believe in the last 10 years, I think the proportion of draws that has fallen at the top level, which is probably just because of the inequality, the increased inequality between teams. So just stuff around draws could be interesting.
0: So giving three points for a win Mm -hmm. didn't have the effect that it was intended to have.
1: I I believe that's true based upon... Certainly not the
3: difference they expected.
0: Right. Well, Mark, that's going to be... uh, When you find out, after you've done the research, do let us know. Um, because Michael for one would dearly love to find out the answer to that Tom speaking of draws yes um, in
2: 1997 the Colombian Football Association did away with draws what and decided that when matches finished level uh, teams would have a penalty shootout for the lost point because obviously when one team wins in three points for a win you get three points Mm. if you lose you get none Mm. so So it's a draw there's a point each but what happens to the third point what happens to it so in Colombia they had a penalty shootout to decide it and it was so stupid that right. they abandoned it after about a year.
1: Is not the same in the EFL trophy. Yeah. They did as well. they yeah. did that yeah. in the states as well okay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah with the, with the 35 yard um mm. penalty shootout. The yeah. high
3: point yeah.
0: Yeah. Brilliant, OK. Colombian shootout. It's very nice. Excellent. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of today's uh, international edition of Totally Football Show. We're back on Thursday, being all Premier League-centric <laughs> with, with <laughs> Lindsay Hooper. With Lindsay Hooper and uh, Emma Saunders will be with us as well and Duncan Alexander. So that's nice. Uh, in the meantime, many thanks to Michael, Daniel and Tom for being with us, a new listener. Have yourselves a great week. We'll catch up with you Thursday.